success on the platform is really listening to your community. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. Now, this week, I've once again been abandoned by Mr. Tom Bassett. My name is George Breer, and in his stead, I'm delighted to be joined by the smiling technology editor of Sports Pro, Mr. Steve McCaskill. Steve, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on, on here. Thank you for having me back. My pleasure, as always. Now, I know this week we're both excited to be speaking with Christina Wooten, the Vice President of Global Partnerships at Roblox. But before then, should we have a quick look at the news stories doing the rounds this week? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Now, Steve, I don't know how full your crypto wallet is, but one thing I can probably guess is that it's significantly less valuable this week after the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Have you been following that? I'm following it quite closely, yeah, and I wouldn't worry too much about my crypto wallet. Um, It's uh, negligible at best. (laughs) Well, we might not be worrying on that front, but sports properties around the world may be breaking a bit of a sweat this week given FTX's multiple sponsorship deals. Have you got any views in terms of why this might be an issue? Yeah, well, I mean, let's maybe let's go through what, what happened exactly first. Um, so earlier this week, there was a, a run on FTX's platform. So FTX is a, a cryptocurrency exchange where um, people, you know, buy and sell various uh, various crypto products on there, and there was a, there were some investors who were concerned about their investments. It's a bit like a run on the bank, um, is, is the closest way I can, I can describe it as. And people withdrew uh, quite a lot of money over a I think it was a seventy two hour period. And FTX just didn't have the cash reserves to back this up. And it when it, it emerged, it was in difficulties. Binance, which is the world's largest uh, cryptocurrency exchange, I believe, maybe because it was concerned about the impact on the wider market, uh, investigated whether it could save. FTX, but it rapidly became apparent this wasn't viable. And just to emphasize how severe the situation was, FTX and Binance, they're quite vocal rivals traditionally. They've been they've sparred on various conference stages. But yes, it became apparent that it wasn't it wasn't viable. And FTX has filed for Chapter Eleven bank, uh, bankruptcy protection in in the US, which I guess is a bit like administration at this point. The impact on the sports industry is twofold. The first is the impact on the wider crypto market. It already been struggling, and it's likely to get worse as a result of the situation. Values have have declined, um, and it means that you know NFT projects could be affected. So, if clubs or leagues or or competitions have decided to launch digital collectibles, for example, if they've been bought as speculative items, then that means that they could decline in value. But I think the more pressing one right now is is sponsorship. So, FTX like many of these crypto firms, was quite aggressive in its sponsorship strategy. It wanted to get itself out there. It needed that awareness. And so it had a lot of agreements. I think the most notable one of that is a 19-year agreement for the uh, the home venue of the NBA's Miami Heat. And it was worth $135 million uh, to both the Heat and to Miami-Dade County. It also has partnerships with Major League Baseball. I think it was the uh, umpire sleeve sponsorship that was there. Mercedes uh, as also a sponsor, and then athletes uh, Tom Brady and Naomi Osaka. Now, if they didn't get that up front, they're probably not going to get it now. So some place will be looking for, for new sponsors. And there's, there are other crypto sponsorships as well. Um, so if there is a wider crash, those could be affected. You've got the I mean, Crypto.com Arena has another venue in the US in, in, in LA. Manchester United, their training kit partner is, is Tezos. And interestingly, they just launched a digital collectible arrangement this week. So 
there was a hope that crypto sponsorship would be a valuable new source of revenue in in the UK, for example, it could replace betting, which um, at some point in the future is likely to become more uh, more more regulated. So they could affect those those that hope that could be the case, and that and, and that's sort of it in a, in a nutshell, really. I can put it better myself. There have been the warning signs for quite some time now that these crypto sponsorship aren't the the promised land of revenue that they initially seemed. Do you think this will force a complete re-evaluation of the crypto sponsorship market within sports and a move away from this sphere that really, um, particularly in football, but almost all sports have, have taken up with Gusto? Do you think we're going to look back to some of the more traditional sponsors that we've seen previously? Or maybe even a, a reinvigorated betting sponsorship portfolio? I think in the UK, the relationship with betting will continue until it's clamped down on. There's talk of voluntary agreements. Whether that will happen, I, I, I don't know. But based on quite a number of these deals, there just seems not to have been a le- even a basic level of due diligence um, investigating who they are, where, where this money is coming from, whether it's whether it's going to happen. And I think in pursuit of this gold rush, there needs to be more of that scrutiny. But I, I guess maybe if, if clubs and teams start to think that the money won't arrive, that will be the catalyst for, for a change in behaviour. But it, I think it just remains to be seen. I think it, it could be that they could think again, well, is this money coming rather than the other? That might be their greatest concern rather than, than doing that background. And how do we get to a, a state whereby due diligence is a na- normal part of sponsorships? Of course, there is the, the fear element that these sorts of deals will fall through and that will leave a significant revenue shortfall. But outside of that, how do you get proper due diligence of sponsorship deals? And that's not just from a, a viability point of view, but maybe even from a sustainability and, and, and moral point of view. We should have this in place already, right? And I think sports organizations, they need, they, again, there's reputational damage that, that, that can be sustained. There was the case last year with, I believe it's uh, both, uh, what, Man- Man- Manchester City had to withdraw um, a sponsorship, I think it was, it was three key technologies because there was concerns over the legitimacy and authenticity of that company. Another sponsorship it has this week, 8x Bet, is, uh, potentially has anomalies. It's been reported, nothing confirmed yet. And then you've got Fulham uh, cancelled its partnership with Titan Capital Markets. So again, there are questions of this legitimacy. So this stuff should be baked in. It should be, firstly, financial concerns you know, about whether you're going to get this money, whether it's a good move for the club, reputational, because it's not a good look when this happens. I mean, football clubs are business, but they've also got a certain responsibility to their fans, especially if they're, if they're pushing certain items. So I just think it needs to be baked in to any sponsorship agreement. Who is this? Why are they doing? Why are they wanting to use sports as, 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 as a platform to, to, grow, uh, to grow their business? business and to drive awareness when it comes to that reputational damage steve do you really see something like the atex bet partnership withdrawal or the titan capital markets withdrawal being any any relevance to to fans and interested stakeholders in fulham or man city or is that something that really in the pursuit of that gold rush as you called it it's just something that can slip under the radar and if they get it wrong it's you know sports business commentators like ourselves that are really going to be the ones that take notice or is there that risk of wider reputational damage down the line i mean look if without speaking on on specific cases right now um if you are a sports organization and you are promoting a certain kind of nft uh, or crypto-based product and that company fails and um the fans of your of your organization have bought this then that's going to be reputational right um and then also there's other things in in football in particular there's issues about 
financial fair play and any sponsorship in relation to income and how much you can spend on your playing staff and what have you. So if these sponsorships aren't whiter than white, then it could it could come back to haunt you in terms of compliance. So you're right. I think maybe us in the industry, we do think about these a bit more than the, 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 the most people, but I certainly do think there are real world implications. I think Man City is an interesting example. Um, I, I saw the story doing the rounds on Twitter before it was fully broken by Mel on Sunday. But looking, I think it's the, the founder of Atex Bet on LinkedIn is a stock photograph used from an eBay employee of the month offering which is obviously quite comic in isolation what sits behind that is potentially very worrying from a financial fair play point of view and from a legitimacy point of view i mean is there do you think there there is the potential that for some sponsorships that maybe aren't innocent mistakes here or that aren't just simply firms that don't have the the money behind them to succeed as is maybe in the case of ftx I mean, firstly, we should we should point out that that, that these are allegations and it's and it, it's and it's reports, but it could have it could like I said before, it could have real world implications. If you are claiming the value of a sponsorship turns out not to be true, or it turns out to be even if you're an unwitting party, it could affect you affect you down the road. It could result in financial penalties. It could result in competition penalties. So docked points if you're a football club, for example. That's the point where fans are going to care. It's a good it's a good point. Well wonder whether this is just the tip of the iceberg or, or, or maybe just a few bad cases in, in a short window. Um, well, let's look at something on a more positive light, Steve, and also comes from the world of football, which is Viaplay, are rumoured in a report from the Times to be considering entering the broadcast rights package for the EFL and the EFL Cup, amongst others. Did you catch that story and what do you think of it? Well, I did. And I mean, earlier, well, I think it was last month or the month before I spoke to the EFL about their new broadcast package, which I believe expire. The current deal is with Sky. It expires in 2025. And they've basically said nothing is off the table. We are up for selling the rights to every single game in the Championship League One, League Two, League Cup and the uh, EFL trophy, which I think is, I haven't got the exact figure in front of me, it's about 1,800 games. Not all of these would be live, What, but what that means is a huge amount of content. They've also said they're not averse to getting rid of the blackout for 3pm kickoffs, which is currently in place. There can be no live football on British TV between, I think it's 2.45 and 5.15 in the afternoon on a Saturday. So they want to increase the value of their rights to about £200 million a year. And they believe by increasing this volume, they can be, become, they can become more attractive to a streamer. Viaplay has entered the UK market. It's acquired Premier Sports. It's also launched its 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 streaming platform. The EFL aren't, you know, top top tier rights. I think you know that that's fair to say that you know Premier League is out out on its own, but it still has a huge profile, commands a significant fan base, and it would be quite a coup. For Viaplay to do this, I should also say that they, they've declined to comment on that report. But I think it would be a really interesting shakeup of of of, of the market because at the minute they've got some football, they've got some rugby, they've got some niche sports, they've got some some ice hockey. I think for a broadcaster trying to break into the market, that would be a really interesting move. And again, if EFL is offering them a significant increase in volume, that's ideal for a streaming platform. That becomes a quite compelling product. Maybe if you can get every, every single championship match in a week, that's more interesting than two games a week, I, I think are currently shown on Sky Sports. So I think yeah, I think it's interesting for two reasons. Firstly, it's 
the development in the EFL zone story and also what might happen in the UK broadcasting market. Any concerns over further fragmentation in the UK football broadcast market? It's now BT, Sky, Amazon Prime and Viaplay. Were they to be successful? Yeah, that's quite a bit of fragmentation at the minute. Whether everyone would pay for all of that football remains to be seen. It could mean that you pick and choose, right? So if you're interested in Champions League and EFL, you go for BT and you go, and you go for Fireplay, we could we could see bundles. But yes, it, I think about 20 years ago, you get the EFL, Premier League, Champions League, all with Sky and you get the internationals. Sorry, that's a very interesting point, actually. Um, all internationals that don't involve England will also be on Viaplay, so that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a bundle. Um, <laughs> I guess a rebundling of rights that used to be bundled. So, yeah, it, it's not great for the for the consumer that wants to watch everything. But and and if and if football is your favourite sport, that means three different subscriptions. But I do wonder whether there is a, a huge amount of overlap. If it, if it wasn't clear already as well, it certainly announces Viaplay's. Um aggressive international expansion plans um i know they're also looking to launch in the us and canada from february and march onwards next year that would be a, a pretty substantial move into the uk market is this the beginning of a, a new big player in the broadcast and streaming wars i don't know how big it's going to be they are bigger in some markets than others obviously the their strength is in in the nordics and, and, and the baltics but what i think could be interesting is if they launch in in you know they have they have UK they have Nordic Baltics they have the Netherlands I, I think it's gonna, it's been delayed in Germany Austria and Switzerland you then create a pan European network and that's something that Eurosport has leveraged quite well over the years um, able to bundle these rights to multiple territories and, and achieve economies of scale so I think that's probably the most in, interesting uh, sporting story for for me whether we we do start to see this perhaps this competitor to Eurosport for that kind of deal interesting. Well, we'll, as as always, we'll we'll keep an eye on that, and and Steve will have to bring you back on the pod as that expansion continues. Now, having having spoken to you around the office this week, Steve, I know that you were at the Rugby League World Cup this weekend. Is that right? That's right. I was at the uh, the Emirates Stadium to watch England's golden point defeat to Samoa in the semi finals. Yes. Well, as an Arsenal fan, what a, what a beautiful location to watch it in, but. Looking at it from the sports business side of things, how have you have you evaluated the success of uh, this year's tournament? I know it's delayed from twenty twenty one. Yeah, if we separate the fact that I've I've now watched England at, at three World Cups in two countries and not seen them win, yeah, a delayed tournament. Challenges from last year with with Australia, New Zealand not wanting to travel. That's a hiccup the organisers I think have dealt with quite well, and we've seen some great viewing figures before the semi-finals. It was eighteen point seven million in the UK, including a peak of one point five million for England's quarter final against Papua New Guinea. There's been strong audiences for wi- the women's matches for the wheelchair games, which have been broadcast on linear TV in the in the UK. There were two things the organisers wanted to do: they wanted all three tournaments together, and they wanted widespread free-to-air coverage to the point where they effectively bought the rights from the International Federation so they could strike their own deal with the with the BBC. They didn't want that going behind a behind a paywall, which is what happened in 2013. It was all but seven games were on Premier Sports. And that was before Premier Sports was even more mainstream. It's, it's become over the last couple of years. So that's been a really positive move it's good time zone it's all bbc either an iplayer or, or, or the channels so that's been that's been encouraging as for 
physical attendances. They've been a bit spotty in, in, in places. That's not too unusual for Rugby League World Cup. It's, you know, outside the, outside the heartlands, if, if there are any games there, or there's not been too many this time, or outside the, the, the sports superpowers, it can be a challenge. But the semi-finals were pretty well attended. The semi-final between Australia and New Zealand on, on Friday night was one of the, also personally one of the best games I've ever seen in any sport. Um, that was quite well, well attended at Leeds. And then there were 40,000 at the Emirates, which is down on, I think it was it was about 53,000 that were at Wembley for the semi-finals in 2013. But that was a double header that featured England, New Zealand and Australia and Fiji. So comparable, although it must I must admit there were a few blocks of em- empty seats, especially around the benches, which I don't think is entirely a good look for a tournament. But overall, I think the organisers were pretty happy with 40,000. This tournament's also seen the integration of the women's tournament and the wheelchair um tournament as well and if my social media is anything to go by the wheelchair in particular has been explosive on social media with some great clips but what do you think is the importance of that integration and and what's the legacy therefore from that look with any with any sporting tournament like this if you're able to integrate multiple tournaments into one there tends to be a bit bit of a benefit you know the the, the commonwealth games for example has the has the power events alongside all the other events so more people are going to watch in that way if, it, if it's if it's also bundled again it being on free to air tv the semi-finals of the wheelchair game were on bbc2 on sunday i wasn't too upset that i didn't watch some of that and again i, was, I thought it was fantastic it's a really it's a it's a, an actually a, a very enjoyable sport to watch and again that was one of the priorities of the organizers they wanted to increase awareness they wanted more eyeballs on screens they wanted more people to attend events and from that point of view it's been very successful i think one of the wheelchair matches attracts the peak audience of more than seven hundred thousand, which is is quite remarkable well long may it continue steve i could certainly listen to you summarize the week's news stories till the cows come home but we also had the privilege earlier today of speaking with christina wooten who's the vice president of global partnerships at roblox we had a little look at the platform in general how it operates and how it differs to some of the other metaverse platforms that are out there but also looking at the upcoming partnership for fifa world um, ahead of this year's world cup but how did you find the conversation I mean, I certainly learned a lot. As I told Christine, I'm a, a passionate gamer, yet Roblox isn't just a game platform. It's got gaming elements to it. And it certainly falls in line with another trend that we're seeing of these games, like, you know, again, like Fortnite and becoming sort of digital environments in which people socialize as well as, as well as play games. And I think she was able to shed quite a lot of light on that, on their strategy, their partnerships, and I guess the future of the metaverse in general. It was definitely interesting. We'll we'll make sure that next time we're on the podcast, we'll be using our Roblox avatars and uh, we'll allow commentators to engage as we talk. Um, well, Steve, great to catch up with you on the news and let's talk to Christina. Well, this week on the podcast, we're delighted to be joined by a face all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and that is Christina Wooten, who is the VP of Global Partnerships at Roblox. Christina, Thank you very much for joining this, us this week. An exciting week for Roblox this, given that we are just moments away from the FIFA World Cup. And with that brings an exciting new partnership. Yeah, no, it's really exciting. FIFA has been a great partner of ours. And this experience really brings together fans from all over the world to celebrate not only their favorite sport or their favorite teams, but it's also about bringing together fandom and, and having them be able to engage with one another. 
Now, Steve, it's great to have you on the show this week because I know you are quite a fan of when it comes to gaming. Yeah, so this is also a bit of a, an educational experience for me as well because I'm, I'm a pretty enthusiastic video gamer, but I've got very little experience with, with Roblox. Um, I know what it is. I know who you work with. Um, but can you explain for our listeners exactly what it is and its user base and how it works with, with brands and sports organizations? Yes. So Roblox is a 3D immersive social platform. So I know a lot of people think of Roblox as just gaming or possibly even a single game, but it really is millions of experiences where people can come together, socialize, connect and do things together. So some of the experiences do have gameplay to it, but you can do anything together. You can experience um, sports. You can sit front row virtually at a fashion show. You can work or learn and play together. And it's really all about you know, creating together, connecting and exploring. And these millions of experiences are built by our community. So we don't actually build the experiences. Our community of developers do, and there's over 12 million of them. And everyone has their own avatar. So when you typically, when you start on Roblox, you create your own avatar and you customize that. It can look just like you. It can look like anybody that you want to be. And it's very important to everyone how they're represented because that is their online digital identity. And then after they customize their avatars, they can go into millions of experiences, any of them that they want, and they will play as their avatar. And so a lot of times when brands want to come onto the platform and you know release virtual items, it could be like FIFA released their jerseys for 32 of the teams, and people can wear their favorite jersey, and now they're going into other experiences, and they're showing affinity for, for that, that team, and then other people can see it. So now others are like, where did you get that? And so it becomes very much about self-expression and just being who you want to be and showing affinity for your favorite brands, celebrities, artists, anybody. So when you talk about having 12, I think it was, do you say 12 million like world builders um, that take part? So when you have that degree of decentralization, so how does that world creation take place? Is that, do the users controlling their avatars, are they able to influence the, for want of a better word, physical world around them within that virtual sphere? So first, when you think about creating the experiences, we have Roblox Studio, we have tools where people can go in and they can start building their own worlds where people can actually go in and experience those worlds together. Um, when you have your own avatar, you can go onto Roblox and choose, you know, there's so many different experiences being created every single day. And so really there's no, if you can't find something, what's great about Roblox is you can create it. And that's how people are going to actually shape the future because on Roblox, Anything that you want to experience, you can create or others have created. And now you can go in and experience that with friends. So yes, you're taking your avatar to, to different experiences and you're doing different things. But a lot of times when you log on to Roblox, what the first thing that sometimes people do is they go and see where their friends are and they virtually portal to them. So rather than always choosing your favorite game to play, it's really about, okay, here's my friends, they're in this experience and we want to go do things together. So think of it more as a social hangout. A lot of people would describe um, as it is the Roblox platform as being a metaverse. And that's a bit of a buzzword when it comes to the sports industry. Um, so a lot of the conversation around that tends to be about how you can fit, recreate the physical world within these digital environments and the interaction that that allows. But what do you think is the balance between essentially mirroring and recreating what we see in the physical world, particularly in sports within these spaces, and a need to completely reinvent that paradigm and do something completely different that the opportunities that the technology brings? 
Yeah, we see the metaverse as the future iteration of the internet, where instead of you know reading something or clicking on something or even watching a video, you're really feeling like you're jumping into that experience. It's immersive, it's social, you're doing things with other people. And so when you think about sports, you know, typically maybe you're at home and you're watching you know, sports on TV, think of it more as you're jumping into that screen with your friends and you're able to celebrate together, you're able to watch highlights, you're able to engage in in sports, but even reimagine the sport. You know, I think that's what's so fun about um, some of the sports leagues that have launched on Roblox. It gives you uh, so much creativity and you can go beyond the sport. You can go beyond the athlete and really storytell. You can have even more fun because there's not the same limitations as the physical world. And so sometimes we do see, you know, a direct replication of something that's happening in, happening in the physical world. But then sometimes we also see something that's, you know, taking it even further where, you know, you could do things that you couldn't, like maybe you're playing uh, football with a, a, you know, a ball that's on fire or something like that, because in you know, the physical world, you wouldn't do that. But on Roblox, you can really use your imagination. And I think that that's what's really exciting about, especially um, the younger generation is really about how do you, uh, you know, enable their creativity and really allow them to take it even further. 54% of our audience is over 13, with our fastest growing demo is 17 to 24. And we also have a, you know, a younger demo, 12 and under, where they're not necessarily experiencing sports maybe the way we did when we were younger. And so this enables sports leagues, teams, athletes to really um, reach that audience, but allow them to engage with the sport in a different way. It'd be good to dive into some of those sports projects um, in a moment. But before that, Talking of the demographics on the platform, do you find that major rights holders and sports partners that you work with, they come to you with that specific demographic in mind um, to target, um, firstly? And secondly, with that, how much data sharing comes with, um, you know, how do you help them understand those demographics, not just within the platform, but the wider um, engagement strategies that that brings? It really depends on the partner. So every partner has their own objectives, their own, you know, target of demo. So some of them, yes, I think a lot of the leagues are realizing that the next generation of sports fans, they need to engage them where they are, and they are on Roblox. And so, and again, they want to experience sports in a different way. And so I think that a lot of leagues, that is what's really attractive to Roblox is we have a massive audience over 58 million people coming every single day to our platform or from around the world. And almost half of them are under, you know, 12 and under, and they want to really engage them, you know, have them have fun with the sports. Because I mean, for myself, you know, I remember the sports that I grew up with, you know, I loved tennis when I was younger, and I do still now. And so when Wimbledon came on to Roblox, it was exciting for me because I that nostalgia that almost like I remember being, you know, 10 years old and, and picking up my first racket. And now they're celebrating the 100 years of the iconic stadium on Roblox, there's the famous center court. And all of that is really exciting to me. So I think the same thing is happening with this audience when they start being exposed to sports, um, you know, their favorite teams, their favorite athletes at a young age, that's going to build affinity and they're going to be following those sports throughout their lives. So that is one reason. Um, but we also have a very broad audience. You know, again, there's over over half our audience is over 13. So the leagues really want to reach this massive audience who's hyper engaged. So there's many things that are happening there. Interesting. So let's delve into some of those partnerships that you have with some of the major sports federations, leagues and rights holders. So how do you work with those partners and what is it that you help them build on the platform? So there's many ways to 
activate on Roblox. Many of the partners actually start with virtual items. So we've seen this with NFL and Liverpool and WWE where they came on and they launched whether it's jerseys or avatars or helmets, you know, it's something that people can wear on their avatar and then go into different experiences. And they see such amazing response for how many people really want to wear that and talk about it around the platform. And so the next step is typically they'll create either a limited time event, like we saw with NASCAR, who integrated into one of our top experiences, Jailbreak, um, for a limited time where you're doing things where you're either encouraging the audience to create you know, um, customize your favorite vehicle, race the vehicles on a, tr- on a racetrack and other experiences. So sometimes there's that limited time of that that they want to have on Roblox. And then you'll see like FIFA world where it is persistent. You know, they intend for it to live on and be persistent and consistently engage that audience. So if you think about, you know, maybe a social channel, you know, you don't just launch that and, and never update it with content and expect people to come back. It's the same thing that's happening on Roblox. These are the next immersive 3D social channels where now FIFA World can engage football fans. You know, they can allow them to experience the sport and have fun and really engage with their favorite athletes and video content and things like that. So it's really exciting. You mentioned you you have this audience that brands and sports organizations uh, want to reach. So when when you discuss a partnership, who kicks that off? Because it, it seems, you know, we have a lot of sports organizations trying to crack the metaverse and they go with perhaps a, a newer company and try to build the audience but you appear to have that audience already made so who who initiates those discussions it depends you know so sometimes they're coming to us and sometimes we know our audience really wants to engage with their favorite leagues or their favorite athletes so we will um, start conversations with them so it really depends i mean years ago I and mean, actually we do this continuously is, is we survey our community and ask them who are your favorite brands your favorite leagues athletes we want to make sure on Roblox, there's amazing content and really experiences that our audience wants to engage with. So it's not something where it's disruptive. It's really enhancing the experience that they're already having on the platform. Either way, actually, if a brand comes to us or we go to them, since Roblox doesn't create the experiences on the platform, what we do is we will, you know, connect them or they connect themselves with our community. Since we do have so many developers who have been on the platform for over a decade, you know, they know what resonates well. They know kind of how people interact on the platform. And we see them as the experts and co-creating the metaverse. And so a brand will speak to developer studios and say, here's what we would love to accomplish. Here's our objectives. We want to authentically come onto the platform. And then those developer studios will help them bring that vision to life. And they work directly together. It seems that relationship is almost like a marketplace where you connect the rights holder or the sporting organization with, as you say, your community of developers. Is it important or indeed possible for Roblox to have any element of control there over the outcome of that partnership and what that looks like in an activation in the, on the platform? Well, just like Roblox tools, you know, for developers and our community, which actually includes, you know, our partners, they're part of our community to build whatever they can imagine. So it's really up to them. And that's what we see as being the future of Roblox is always making sure that they have the tools and technology to build whatever they want and you know bring their vision to life. And we do see this also, as you're saying, marketplace, we do see this as being scale and more self-serve where seamlessly brands and you know can come and, and talent can come and connect with our community directly. And they could start building together. And that's what's the beauty of Roblox and why it's so exciting to come back every single day and see new experiences, new virtual items being created. 
because again, you know, we provide the tools and we see what amazing things people create from all over the world. But does that come with any concerns for um, online safety or, um, of course, there's also the in-game currency Robux um, that encourages people to spend real life money on those digital items. Does that decentralized approach come with any safeguarding and safety concerns for the communities it's engaged with? So first, with our virtual economy, it is Robux. So it's not a cryptocurrency. It's not on the blockchain. It it is um, the currency that's on Roblox. And, you know, people purchase these virtual items with Robux and they can, it's, there's utility on Roblox, you know, and then they go and they wear those virtual items into all these different experiences. So that's why I just wanted to clarify that our, our currency is not cryptocurrency. And then two, you know, Roblox is a very safe and civil environment. So from day one, it was always important to us to make sure that people are able to interact and connect in an environment that is safe. We have very stringent um, chat filters, parental controls. We have teams that are working 24-7 to make sure they're monitoring the platform. Um, they have to abide by our terms of use and community standards. So we have a team actually internally, and this is what I'm always so passionate about, is we work also to make sure that it's um, not only a safe environment, but it's a positive environment where people are able to express themselves freely without feeling like that negative mental impact you know, that they do on other social platforms. So we're making sure that people are not only realizing there's someone behind that screen, you know, behind that avatar, they're being kind. We're really hoping that as people are creating the experiences for the future, um, they're also shaping the future to be more positive. So yeah, from day one, you know, we want to make sure that our platform is as safe and civil and as positive as possible. I'm also interested in some of the partnerships that I've seen that really operate at that intersection between the physical world and the digital. Two that come to mind for me was McLaren's Formula One team doing their, I think it was their virtual reveal of the 2022 car on the platform. And then also an interesting activation outside of sport that I saw with Stranger Things. So how do you prompt those conversations with your partners to extend that activation from the physical to the digital world? And what's the interrelation between the two? Do you see them impacting each other? I, I do. I think that, you know, there's there's things that um, brands, or any partner or talent are looking at the physical world and what they're already creating, how they can bring that to the metaverse and have people have engage with it and have fun. But we're also seeing the other way, where things that are happening on Roblox, the creation, the feedback, that's influencing what's happening in the physical world. So it's going both ways. And I think more and more that will happen. And we almost see sometimes there's like a virtual portal between the physical world and the virtual space. And, you know, some of the examples of that are, um, with, you know, the Gucci Garden, where that was brought to the whole world, where you know, they have an exhibition in Florence, Italy, but really millions of millions of people from all over the world could experience it. Um, McLaren, you know, when we were speaking with them, what we always try to do is not only make sure that it's authentic. So we provide best practices and you know, make sure that the brand understands um, the platform. That's always crucial that they understand the platform that they're entering. And just because you have an amazing IP doesn't always mean it's going to translate and resonate right away. So really understand, speak to the community, speak to the developers and understand what they're going to want to see. And I think McLaren did it so well where they worked with a developer studio, The Gang, and, you know, they revealed this, this, the MCL 36. And I think that that was so exciting, just building up that, you know, suspense of what it's going to look like, the reveal. And then you can actually go and take that, that car and race it in three other experiences, which were driving simulator, jailbreak and ultimate driving. And it saw 4.1 million visits. It was really absolutely amazing. You can also wear the, the track suits and, um, 
So I think that that's something that, you know, people bringing the fans of McLaren from the physical world, excited to see the reveal on Roblox, and then actually go drive the car, you know, before even the drivers can. So something like that. And then you mentioned Stranger Things. This was something that we're really excited about. It's a way to, it's, it's a glimpse into how you're going to experience entertainment in the future. So we hear all the time, you know, people are watching episodes, movies or shows on their TV, but they're also maybe FaceTiming with their friends while they're doing that. And this experience really brought together the feeling of being together with your friends, watching, you know, your favorite episode of Stranger Things. And then what's happening in that 2D episode is influencing what's happening in that 3D environment. So if the Demogorgon is on screen, the Demogorgon is also in the environment. And you, I think that that takes the experience so much further for these fans. And we've really seen this become a very social space where Stranger Things fans are coming together, you know, with other fans and really having fun together and, and being able to celebrate, you know, what they're watching on the screen together in an immersive experience. So it's just a glimpse, I believe, of what we will see with entertainment um, on Roblox. And one of the the, the trends and one thing I, I when I speak to to people working in tech and broadcasting is this vision of of social viewing that we do in, in digital environments. Um, have you ever done a, a live event in, in Roblox before? And, and if not, would, is that something you, you would look to do where people can watch, um, you know, for example, a soccer match with their friends or, or tennis or something and, and maybe make it more interactive? Yeah. We, one example was um, Tommy Hilfiger for New York Fashion Week. And we really wanted to bring the fashion show to anybody. So you felt like you had a front row seat whether you're in New York or whether you're anywhere around the world. And so as you were seeing these models come out with the new looks, they were actually able to come out in Roblox. And so if you were in Tommy Play, the Tommy Hilfiger experience, you could actually watch it live and feel like you were in the front row at, at New York Fashion Week. And that's really that, that feeling of being together, being there, and that feeling of joy is what we really love to see from these experiences. You're going to see that more and more for each industry is, is feeling like, you know, you can watch it live together or you can watch it even later, but you feel like you were still there in that moment. So yeah, we were really excited. I think I would say keep watching the space. You're going to see some really fun things coming with sports very soon. Speaking of exciting partnerships with sport, uh, I did mention earlier the, the launch of FIFA World in the lead up to this year's World Cup um, taking place in just a few days time. Can you tell us a bit more about FIFA World and w- what it contains and, and how it came about? Yeah, we've been speaking with FIFA for a long time. Um, you know, FIFA brings together the whole world to celebrate. And it's it's something that, you know, we know our fan, our audience loves. And so FIFA decided to create a space, FIFA World, where they can not only have fans celebrate, you know, football and their favorite competing nations, but it's going to be persistent. So it started with a FIFA space, bringing in World Cup. There's going to be bringing in athletes. We just, they just launched their 32 jerseys. And you're going to be seeing also content from FIFA Plus inside the world. And then, you know, next year as the Women's World Cup launches, you'll see something in their FIFA world as well. So there's lots of new, exciting things coming. And they just really want to make sure that they have a space for fans all over the world to really come together and experience, you know, and celebrate fandom. And I think that that's really amazing of FIFA to really be thinking about the audience now, their future audiences, and how you bring and bridge, you know, this fandom together. So yeah, a lot of exciting things coming with FIFA World. You've compared partnerships on Roblox with almost launching a social media platform and how that requires a tailored approach and a tailored strategy. So from FIFA's perspective, 
what's the balance between activating now and making taking advantage of the biggest sporting events in the world and the attraction that that brings with building a longer-term, multi-year strategy to change the way they engage with their fans, particularly those of a younger demographic? What I think is amazing about building on Roblox is the audience is definitely used to iteration. So you think about, you know, if you launched a mobile game, you work so long to create this mobile game and you launch it. And a lot of times if it didn't work out, then it's very, it takes a long time to update that. Well, on Roblox, you can update things in real time. You could update things very quickly. So what this experience allows is for FIFA to have a world where they can get constant feedback. You know, like they can see how people are engaging in their world. They can see how they're wearing the jerseys, who, who's their favorite competing nation, you know? So, um, and then they can make changes based on that feedback. So I think that's something that it is a very social experience where people are talking about things, they're expressing themselves. And then FIFA can watch that space and see how people are engaging and see what their favorite things are to do. And then they can make updates based on that. And that not only for sports, but any industry, that's something that I think is what's changing is you're allowing more of your fans to create with you, to provide feedback, to influence, you know, even real world product that you're, you're creating. And so, yeah, I, I, it's really exciting, actually, what we're seeing through each industry right now. Obviously, we've seen you know, FIFA's getting much more involved in this space. They're working with a, with a number of partners. Getting, as, it was interesting you mentioned FIFA Plus. Obviously, they're going for much more direct-to-consumer route on, on that front. I just want, want to think, the experiences you're designing, obviously, for a cert, certain de- demographic, is there anything in there that you would, would attract an older audience, or is it something that's just not designed, designed for them? How do you segment those different fan groups? Is it a way you might create something so good that other people might be interested in using? I just, I'm just interested to, see, to hear how that works. Yeah, so on Roblox, it's, it's funny, as we see our demographic aging up, you know, our 17 to 24-year-old demos are fastest growing. What we see is that the more tools and technology that we provide to our developers to create with, the more high fidelity they experience, maybe it looks more realistic and feels more realistic, the older players might be engaging more. So we watch to see kind of, you know, and FIFA could be watching this as well to see how people are engaging if we maybe um, update something where it does feel a little more realistic, or maybe it's, you know, just taking their feedback and, and implementing that into the world, you may see different demographics engaging in different ways. So I would say that um, it, it's not always the same for each experience. Sometimes the older demographic, you know, may want to engage some in some way that you're not even expecting. And same with the younger demographics. So I would say, you know, they just need to watch the space and listen to the community and see how they want to engage with FIFA world in the future. And if they take that feedback, I think that that's when you're always going to see success on the platform is really listening to your community. Obviously, it's it's a, it's a multi-year partnership. Um, it's going to cover the Women's World Cup next year. What happens should that partnership not be extended? Is it still a persistent world that exists there? Does it go away? What what happens when when the former part of the relationship finishes, if, if, if it ever does? Yeah, and for FIFA World, I mean, they can keep it live as long as they they would like on the platform. So what we do is we provide partners with best practices. We help connect them with the community if they need us to. We really help them understand the platform and the tools and technology that's available. But it's up to every partner, any developer, how long they want their experiences to be live. So it's really up to FIFA. We hope that it lives on forever. You know, I think it's going to be something where really the value of bringing fans together from all over the world and allowing them to engage in sports in a way they haven't been able to before is is really exciting. And I think that I, I'm excited to see where the FIFA world goes. You mentioned earlier in the conversation that some sporting organizations can't just assume that their IP may work well in the real world and then will 
translate as well into a virtual world or, or a metaverse for sports businesses that might be looking to dip their toes into this space or make a, a bigger investment what should they be looking for when reviewing internally as sort of the green lights to make this kind of move I think take take the time to really understand the platform. The the partners that we've worked with that have taken the time to really start to speak to the community, dive into Roblox, you know, create your own avatar and and experience it so you understand what's happening on the platform. That will inform a lot of your strategy and what you want to do. And then also test things out slowly. Sometimes launching those virtual items will tell you a lot, you know, will give you a lot of data, which teams people are more showing affinity for, or if they can even co-create together, I think that's what you know gets the audience really excited about. So I would always say, encourage any partner to really spend the time to understand the platform, understand what's happening, what's what's successful, like what's, you go into some of the experiences that are very popular and see how social they are. It's, it has to be social. People want to come together and have fun. They want to, it doesn't matter what they're doing. But if you create an experience that's social and allowing them to do things in a fun environment, um, and then really also stay authentic to yourself, not only just see something that you've seen before and try to replicate that, but think about, okay, for our brand, our league, um, our team, what's important to us. And I love when a, when a partner tells the story of their brand or, or themselves in surprising ways, you know, um, gives their audience a glimpse into what else. What else does that brand do besides what you've already seen? Um, you know, what are they doing for social impact? And like, how, how are they kind of showing you what, what they represent and their values and things like that? I think especially with Gen Z, they appreciate that. They love to see that, that the goodness that comes from a brand or an athlete or, or a, you know, an artist or a celebrity. So all of those things, I would say dig into it and constantly learn. You know, even after you launch, listen to the community go through some of the data, like really understand what's happening and then, and then iterate from there. It's interesting on that, that purpose-driven aspect you mentioned, it strikes me that it's a, a platform for a very particular and specific type of act, sponsorship activation, if that's what you're looking for, or, or for a particular launch. Do you really see that visibility when you're speaking with partners as to what they want from the platform and why they're looking to use it? Or is it, as you've also sort of intimated, a, a bit of test mm -hmm. and learn? It's not always obvious right away. I think that um, sometimes it comes out of asking the why. You know, a lot of times when our team speaks to partners, we ask them why they want to be on Roblox. Like, what is so important to you that you want to convey to your audience? How do you want to engage with your consumers, your fans? What do you want to hear back from them? And when you really start to have those conversations and you dig into the why, I'm like, yes, like you have to show that in your experience. For instance, when we worked with Aloe Yoga, you know, we had, we saw what they were doing about, about bringing awareness to mental health and wellness and um, what they were doing with Aloe House. And we had conversations with them and we were talking about bringing awareness to the metaverse, you know, especially during the pandemic when a lot of people really were struggling, really are struggling and they need a space to feel okay. You know, they need to feel calm. They need to take a break. And so we didn't know how the audience would re would react to an aloe sanctuary where the, the whole purpose was really to do meditation and yoga, have a, a space where you can really take a break and calm down. And the reaction from the community was absolutely amazing. Um, has over 50 million visits. The community's feedback about no matter what they're going through in the physical world right now, it might be tough for them, but they go into this space daily. And that's where they really feel better. And they, it, it starts their day off in um, a calming way. And so that experience really opened a lot of people's eyes to, again, more than gaming, 
you know, you don't have to necessarily create a game on Roblox, but if you really build an experience where you bring people together and you're, there's a benefit, you know, there's something that they're getting out of this experience that they want to come back to and they want to, they have this feeling of, um, of joy, then that's really what's going to be successful. And so I would take those learnings, you know, and, and um, just make sure that you're really thinking through the why when any partner is thinking of activating on any platform. It also strikes me that a lot of the partnerships you've talked about are quite early on in their journey and sports entry into metaverse platforms and into the Web3 space more generally is still very much in its infancy. How do you see that future looking and, and where do you see the opportunities for sports businesses to interact with these platforms and um, to make tangible change, really? I think, again, every industry is evolving and how they think about engaging with their audiences. So it's no longer always about, um, you know, creating a mobile game or, you know, creating experiences that are very one off. It's like, how do you bring something to a fan if you're thinking about sports? something to a fan that benefits them and wants them to keep engaging. And, and if you think about the Stranger Things watch party, that's that could be very similar for sports. You know, you could be watching something, you could be watching the game or the highlights. And, and if that is with your friends, it could be a virtual space, but it's also influencing how you are experiencing that sport. You know, so you're watching the, the game or the highlights in 2D, and maybe that's influencing your 3D environment. And now you're feeling like you're engaging with that sport in a different way rather than just a passive experience where you're just watching on your couch. I think that that's going to be really exciting moving forward. There's there's so many things in the sports industry that I think we'll be starting to experiment leagues and you know brands and athletes will start experimenting and they're going to start to see what really re- resonates with that new generation of fans. Um, and again, if, I mean, you have to go where they are. Um, you have to make it fun and let them reimagine the sport. I think that that's what's really exciting as well. That tricolon, it seems to me a great, great way to end. Um, Christina, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to speak to us today. Exciting, uh, of course, with the World Cup taking place and, and the launch of that partnership. Um, but also definitely, as I said, feels like the the first few steps on what could be an extremely interesting new avenue for sports to take. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was a great uh, conversation, George and Steve.